Welcome to EM Pulse, bringing research and expert opinion to the bedside. We're your hosts, Julia Magana and Sarah Medeiros. Hi, and welcome back to EM Pulse. You know, Sarah, one of the many things that has changed dramatically with COVID is telehealth. I mean, it is amazing what telehealth looks like on this side of 2020. Yeah, we last spoke about telehealth in February of 2021, and a lot has changed since then. So today we're going to do an update. You know, I think when we recorded that episode, we had a bit of a hard time finding someone to give a story that illustrated how wonderful telehealth could be. And now we would be hard-pressed to find someone who has not used it in our sphere. It's so true. I know that we have used it in my family more than once. And it is a game changer when it comes to access to care in the middle of a busy schedule like we have. It's also a large part of our department's workload now. So we run the online urgent care and have improved healthcare access for our community. And a lot of our physicians actually love to work it. So I spoke with two of our colleagues who run our online urgent care called Express Care. Yeah, let's let them introduce themselves. I'm Jenny McCormick, and I am a professor of emergency medicine here at UC Davis and the associate director of the Express Care Telehealth Service. So I'm Kelly Owen. I am professor of emergency medicine at UC Davis. I am the Express Care medical director and the ED outpatient operations director. Okay, so last time that we talked about telemedicine on Impulse, we were talking about the start of it and how COVID had kind of rapidly opened the door. We're now not on the other side of COVID, but we're in a new world after COVID, right? And so what does telemedicine look like now after COVID? So I think that we've made a lot of changes and as an institution have learned and grown quite a bit. Initially, this was run with us in emergency medicine as kind of extra support. And in the past year, year and a half, we've completely taken over the service, which has allowed us to really work on triaging patients and and getting them care outside of the emergency department rather than just sending them in. So the institution has sent us more people through express care first to make a determination, does the 35-year-old with chest pain for two weeks really need the ED, or is that something we can take care of outpatient? I think our volumes have gone up as we've become almost a pop-off valve for COVID surges, a pop-off valve for clinics needing more capacity as the population has grown. We've seen our ED volumes go up so much the number of patients that we need to serve in the community go up so much. Express care has also gone volume-wise up high. Yeah, and I think we were initially seeing mostly COVIDs, people testing for COVID, COVID positives, um, and we're still seeing a large number of that. But I think the outpatient world here at Davis knows a lot more about us. So we're seeing a ton of UTIs. We're seeing a ton of URIs that are not COVID positive. Unfortunately, a lot of like ear pain that we can't really assess over video, but a lot of kind of simple urgent care issues like take a look at this rash, take a look at this burn. What do you think about this dog bite? Does it need to be sewn up or treated? So I think the community here in Davis and Sacramento know a lot more about us. So we've expanded beyond just kind of the COVID, kind of we're the COVID resource. I like that. It sounds like it's like your baby's growing up. (laughs) You have what, a teenager right now? (laughs) I wonder, as you guys are growing, what are some of the skill sets that clinicians need to do telehealth well? 
in order to do telehealth well, you need to be able to rapidly assess patients with very limited data. So we don't have vital signs in front of us. A lot of this is just how does the patient look? And then being able to have a good knowledge of what your institutional resources are so that you can appropriately get the patient to the next place or the right level of care. Most of our patients are single-issue patients. They're coming in with a UTI, they've got a URI with a cough, and they need cough medication. Um, but we do have some complex patients who come in who may have thought they just had a single issue, but their UTI suddenly becomes more complex because they have a background of renal cell cancer and they're febrile and they're on chemotherapy. And so knowing our resources, knowing who needs to go to the ED, if we were in the ED, what would we do for them? I think it can be really helpful to have the background of emergency medicine. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Once again, those emergency medicine skills come through for you all. <laughs> uh, you become the jack of all trades in so many different places. I would say one other way that I really like the emergency medicine training for this is we walk in a room and you have to right away sniff out who's sick, who's not sick. Um, and that's kind of what we're doing all day long on telehealth. We're meeting the patient. They're talking to us. They haven't even started talking about their chief complaint, but we're already getting a sense of they're comfortable, they're breathing fine. And we don't really need to get bogged down in a lot of their past medical. We can really tell this patient is totally fine. They're coming in with a cough. We can just address that. So you've said, what are some of the skills that physicians need? What are some of the resources that physicians need to have a successful telehealth program? So a lot of that question depends on what you want to be able to do. And I think one of our goals is really keeping people out of the hospital and out of the ED. And because of that, we are working on and still working on and setting up more resources to be able to do more things outpatient. So ideally, you have access to labs and access to x-ray. We have found that it would be really helpful to have access to even a health navigator, someone to help coordinate care and coordinate follow-up appointments. You need support staff. You need your nurses that can help schedule appointments and help get people to the next place. You need schedulers. You need IT to help with all of the connection problems. And our wonderful physician builder, Dr. Parikh, who's made all of our notes and tried to help with our IT group, all of the things to streamline the EMR to be able to document. So there's a bunch of different pieces, not only within patient care, but if your video fails and you can't connect, you've lost a huge piece of information and data. And so all of those support systems have to come together so that when you see a patient in line, you can connect with them immediately. And then how do you set things up on the back end so that when you've ordered labs or tried to get them to the next place that someone picks that up and helps the patient continue down their care journey while you go on and help the next person? I think also it's really critical how we have lab and x-ray follow-up set up. Um, it just is so nice because we've set it up in these four-hour blocks of shifts. And when you go off shift, you are not responsible for anything that comes back after. So you're not following up the labs and x-rays you ordered, but you're following up the ones that come back during your shift. And there's, you know, we have an express care nursing team. We actually just tied into our um, primary care network's nursing team, and they kind of give us the feedback of the lab results, x-ray results, and then we can call patients back, order antibiotics, et cetera. 
Kelly, what you said really resonated with me about the goal is to intelligently use the emergency department to reduce unnecessary care in the emergency department while still providing the right care to the right patient. I I love that goal. That really makes a lot of sense to me. I would imagine that is very hard to track the data on. Um, But what if you guys, as physicians who work in the emergency department, can you tell me kind of anecdotally and experientially what you have found with this structural and goal in place? Yeah, we don't have the data on this, like how many patients have, you know, we've avoided bringing into the emergency department. But anecdotally, we definitely have a lot of patients calling in saying, I was going to go into the emergency department, but I called into the nurse triage and she said, why don't you try express care and see if they can help you first? And often it's really simple things, but people didn't have the healthcare literacy or they they couldn't get in with their primary care doctor. I mean, our clinic visits are so full and they just need to start antibiotics. And so they came through us and we were able to avoid that ED admission. I can think of several cases where I have seen kids that live far away that have to drive down and where they're at, they don't have the resources to be able to do that really sophisticated triage that you guys are talking about and get that care. And I have definitely had patients that have gotten two, three steps into their treatment plan before they then had to drive down. It it didn't work. We gave it a good try, but we're already this far into it or arrive with x-rays or arrive with results that then allow me to then shepherd them into the next phase of their care. And so I know for me, I have felt the impact of having express care, especially for our patients that live farther away. I think there are a few groups that we have really been able to help through telemedicine. We serve a huge area, UC Davis does, because of only being the only tertiary care center within so many miles. And so it is not uncommon that we get people calling in from two, three hours away and us being able to see them and say, yeah, no, you really need to come to the ED and let me put a referral order in for you and let them know what we think needs to happen or no, I can treat you there, or go to your local hospital, we can really save people some travel time. The other group we really help are people that are either caregivers or are very difficult to transport because of their medical needs. So we can take a look and kind of help them while they're at home. Even parents of small kids coming into a visit with a baby in tow and a toddler because you don't have childcare. if we can help you through telemedicine, that is such a decreased burden on your life and you're still getting the care that you need. Are you tracking patient satisfaction? Like, how do you think that telemedicine is impacting our patient satisfaction? The majority of people are very happy. There are certain things like technical issues, like I couldn't connect, I couldn't see the doctor, the doctor couldn't see me. That is going to be the case with any kind of telemedicine service as a frustration when technology doesn't work. I think as long as people can get to the provider, then they are satisfied with the service. There are some things that we can't do. Like it's very hard to see ears There's some things that we can't do. So one of the things that we're trying to do is to set up technological solutions for that up front to say, hey, if you have ear pain, 
the doctor may not be able to help you. Here's your other options. If you still want to try this, go for it to try to set expectations from the start. Mm, That's really smart. What about provider satisfaction? The clinician that's on the other side of the camera there. What is it like to be there? Does this feel satisfying to you guys? Um, Like what role does this have in our careers? If you had asked me about this maybe 10 years ago, I would say that is not something I ever want to do. I never wanted to be involved in clinic medicine. I went into emergency medicine because I love the acuity. I love multitasking and the thought of sitting behind a desk talking to one patient about something very simple. That would not really be my cup of tea. But I actually love it. They are the nicest patients. They're so thankful. And it's a real nice contrast to our work in the emergency department. So all my patients, not all of them, but I have... You know, my grumpy, angry, drunk patients, you know, shouting profanities at me. Like, I love those patients, too. But this is a different mix, and they really kind of balance out. Also, I have young kids, and I can do this from home. So I love that I do probably half of my shifts on telemedicine now. And some months I've done like 80 to 90% of my hours that way. And I've been transitioning to more just because I really enjoy is the simple satisfaction of like taking care of a patient, you fix their problem, it's simple, it's easy, you make them better, and I can be home and kind of be managing things with my kids too. You know, it's funny, Jenny, while I am zero surprised that I'm having this conversation with Kelly today, I genuinely <laughs> did not see seven or eight years ago you doing this because you are such a resuscitation room junkie and like known for your clinical prowess across the emergency department that I did not see this. So you are kind of like the testament to <laughs> what this can be for anybody, really, you know, that this can play a role for some people that maybe even surprising that we're on the other side of the table today. (laughs) I think it actually, for me, has made me a better doctor in the emergency department. As emergency physicians, we see people in kind of their worst times. And now we're seeing people, they're not always well, but they're in their own homes. And so you get a different connection to your patients and kind of understanding of like, oh, I'm going to treat this for you at home and this is what you look like at home. Now in the ED, I feel better about sending you home and you have these resources. And we're we're taught so much in emergency medicine to always think about the worst things. And while you're doing that in telemedicine, if you start going down any of those paths, then the answer is stop and send them somewhere else. (laughs) And so it allows more of like the lower acuity I just get to take care of you at your house. It's made me way more comfortable with sending people home. There's also so much less pressure because it doesn't end here. Like if I'm ever uncomfortable, then then this is not the right place. Um, and actually, we have a lot of patients who call in and they are really sick. They look terrible. And I can say, no, you need to go in. Like, what are you doing <laughs> calling me? Um, yeah. <laughs> During COVID, I had someone that I was like, do you have a, we talked for 10 minutes. And I was like, do you have a pulse ox at home? And they said, yes. And I said, well, what's it reading? And they're like, 85%. Oh my God. And I was like, we should have started there. <laughs> like, go to the ED. <laughs> like, so when they look bad at all, you have an easy stop and now you're done. And it's, so from a, faculty perspective, I think this allows for longevity. It gives another option that in general, patients are happy, you're happy, it's low pressure. So 
if you're starting to be at a point in life where doing all the resuscitations and just seeing so many people in the department every day feels like a lot, this does give a break where you can kind of do both. We've also had people that need to have an ankle surgery. And now they can't really work clinically and get around in the ED. Now here's an option that if you wanted to keep working, now you can. So I think giving those options is very important. You can do it when you have young kids at home or when your kids are in school. It's a shorter shift time. So then it gives everybody a little more flexibility of what they want and more choices. And I just don't think I can overemphasize the happiness you receive from patients being happy with your care, mm. which is really a new experience, which is sad to say. <laughs> like, I thought that I was a good doctor in the ER, but I'm doing these simple little things like, oh, yeah, let's check a UA and get you antibiotics. And people are like effusively thankful. And I just leave like with my little heart full. Yeah. It recharges you. Yeah, so true. You know, I actually got to use Express Care myself a couple weeks ago when I had COVID for the second time and my son and I were isolating by ourselves at home. And I got to call up and have that conversation about Paxlovid and my own particular health issues. And it was really easy. And it just made it so much easier for my son and I to just continue on with our life and get back to feeling better and not spreading COVID around. So like it is genuinely, even though it was a small little thing like that, it was a genuine improvement in our own medical care in our house. So I appreciate what you guys are doing for sure. All right. So let's say that you've convinced somebody and they're like, man, I should think about starting my own telemedicine program at my department. What would be two tips that you would give them to those individuals? What would you say to them? So we've actually had quite a few conversations with other emergency departments that are thinking about starting their own telemedicine programs. There's a lot of tips. Most of these conversations, when we've had it with other departments, have been hour to hour and a half conversations, and then they've come back for more um, because there are a lot of little details that matter. What we get asked most often is, how do you staff it and what does this look like? Um, I think that is difficult. We have chosen to do four-hour shifts. There is some data that shows that once you've been in front of a computer for four hours, your productivity starts to go down. And so that is useful for both a flexibility and a productivity standpoint. Though I know, Jenny, you've done some 12-hour shifts. Um, <laughs> but the happiness factor definitely goes down. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then the volumes aren't consistent, especially in the beginning. So when we first started, it was so slow. I worked like every shift for like the first year. <laughs> That's not true. Um, <laughs> but I did work the majority of shifts. And we started 7 a.m., went to midnight. And it was okay because you might get, you know, a handful of patients throughout the day. Um, and in the beginning, I would go to soccer tournaments and take shifts and do tons of other things during shifts. And now we have a pretty consistent volume where that's not possible, but that's good. We have lots of patients the amount of time you can do in a shift really depends on how busy it is. What questions would you suggest somebody ask themselves as they're thinking about starting a telemedicine program and figuring out if it's right for them? How you're going to staff it isn't going to be mandatory for all your providers to work those shifts. Who is your support going to be? 
what resources do you have? Lab, x-ray, support staff. What do you want the interface to be? And then who is your goal patient population? So who do you want to pull into this? And I think like you said earlier, like what is your goal with all of this? Like what is your intention here with starting this program was a really important question. Okay, where do we go from here, guys? What is the future of telehealth and telemedicine at UC Davis? I don't think this will ever go away. Patients are so happy. They're calling in from home in their pajamas. They're sick. They don't have to get in the car, go into the office. Um, This is really the future of medicine. And, you know, we will always have a need for the emergency department. There's always going to be a need for inpatient. Um, And there is definitely a need for clinic medicine when you need to have hands on. But this fills a void that we haven't had. I can't believe we haven't done it. I'm, I'm not thankful for COVID, but it was time for this to be birthed. Yeah, so going forward, I think telemedicine, as we get more tools, will just become more successful. So there's companies that are building telemedicine modules that could even be in your house that have stethoscopes attached and otoscopes attached, and you pull down the hatch and there's a computer screen that you can connect to a doctor through. That's kind of one patient group and one patient population. I really think we have a better opportunity, or maybe it's just what I my, think we can be more passionate about, is to be more equitable through telemedicine. So take people that are under-resourced or unhoused and bring a tablet to them so that that way now we can get you in front of a doctor. Like how can we really reach a broader population that otherwise wouldn't have access to health care. I think as we are making more partnerships through UC Davis, it allows us to do more through telemedicine. So we just now partnered with Dispatch Health to do an urgent care at home where we see a patient and maybe they have mobility issues, maybe they are a caregiver and can't leave the house and we want them to get seen in person. There is a van that will go out with a provider and the ability to do lab work and give medicines um, and care for that patient in their house. Wow, that is slick. Yeah. So as we can expand those kind of programs, kind of physician air traffic control, where we can see people and really help to figure out what they need, I think is going to become more important. That's really cool. I saw an elderly patient on express care who has been having coughing for 10 days, had a chest x-ray a week ago that was negative, but having more coughing and daughter just felt like she may be having some shortness of breath, but it wasn't really clear. She wasn't in distress. And I thought, ah, you know, this is somebody who I probably would have sent to the emergency department, but now we have the urgent care at home. So I just sent them to her house. Um, They had to listen to her. And I also sent her to get a chest x-ray. She had a pneumonia. They were able to get vital signs on her, listen to her, and she stayed out of the emergency department, got antibiotics, and they checked in on her. And it was glorious. Wow. And I'm sure that that patient and their family was really appreciative of that healthcare, what they need, where they are. Very slick. Well, I am excited, guys, uh, about this future and about what you guys are doing. So thank you so much for coming back and we'll have to see what it looks like in another five years or so. 
You know, Sarah, I really appreciate this new aspect of emergency medicine. You know, I think at telehealth urgent care, at the beginning, we were a little bit wary about it. And I have to say, it's not my thing yet. But who knows, maybe when I get tired of nights and weekends and being on my feet all the time, it will be my thing. Yeah, it's true. And many of our colleagues really feel satisfied with this as part of their EM career. Well, thank you all for listening. You can support EM Pulse podcast by liking and sharing our podcast with your colleagues. And thank you to our department for exploring the world of telehealth and making a difference in our community through it. And thank you to OM Productions for making all of our remote interviews sound so good. So until next time, stay curious, stay inspired, and stay tuned. Stay tuned.